Hi, I'm Hannah, team manager with the Orange Arrow Players Association, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to coach student athletes to aim for success off the field. Please consider making a play by giving, hosting a fundraiser, subscribing to our podcast and YouTube channel, and staying connected on social media at Orange Arrow PA. Visit orangearrow.org for more information. Thank you for listening. Take aim. You are now inside the play call with Orange Arrow, and I'm your host, Sean Robinson. And today we have a very, very special guest, my guy, LJ, probably one of the smoothest guys that I know, Lamont Jones. Welcome to the pod. How are you doing, sir? Man, I'm doing great. Uh, you always have kind words for me, man. You, you know how to make a brother feel good. So uh, thank you for that. So uh, hope you're well, too, and hope the wife is doing great. Yeah, no, same here. Uh, we're doing well. Hopefully you, you and your wife are doing well as well. So imagine this. You have the opportunity to cook for the Obamas, the entire family, all four of them. Wow. Let me make sure you hear this question, though. No help. Your lovely wife cannot help you. You cannot go have, hire a chef or purchase the food. What is on the menu? What are you cooking for the Obama family? <laughs> well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this, Sean. First of all, you must have been talking to Sophia uh, to even ask me a question like that. Because if there's one thing that I do not like to do, is cook. Seriously, however, okay. <laughs> however, however, you, you are talking about the Obamas. So even a brother who doesn't cook would go to his backup plan, right? It's just like you on the playing field. Sometimes you got to call an audible. So, right, exactly. Uh, in this case here, the only thing that my wife says that I do well when it comes to cooking is I make a pretty mean hamburger and I make an awesome steak. So in, in the household I grew up in, my mom could make a steak. Uh, I never got any, but it smelled good. She gave it to my dad and she gave us hamburger. So that's how I learned to make hamburger and steak. So uh, the Obamas, unless they're, hopefully they're not vegan because if they're vegan, they're going to be in trouble. But uh, otherwise, <laughs> if, if they like meat, uh, I'm going to have meat. Now I got to work on the side dish, but it's going to okay. be steak, steak or a burger. But, you know, since the Obamas, they got to have steak. We're going we okay. to do an awesome steak for them. Gotcha. And then you worry about the size later. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I you said no help, but you know they got some things in the in the frozen section that I might be able to pull in that uh, could help me out on the side dish there. You know, a, a baked potato, you know, a little broccoli, asparagus, or something like okay. that. Okay, uh, it's know, coming together. Yeah, yeah, it's going, it's going. To, and, and I'm a bread lover. I shouldn't be and and stuff like that. So we're gonna have a nice some some nice fresh bread to go along with that. So uh, so that's gonna complete it. And, and you know, I'd be wrong. I know you said for dinner. They got to have a Pepsi. So, you know, n none of that red stuff, but, you know, you got to have a Pepsi right. to make it go down real smooth. And, and we'll speak to that later, why you made that choice. You got to have a Pepsi. Another warm-up question for you. All right. If you're going to listen to one musical artist for 30 days straight, who are you selecting? Man. See, you, 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 you nailed me on this only one artist type of thing. Only one. You know, first of all, I'm an old school brother. So, you know, with all due respect to our young um, entertainers today, I, I, I'm still stuck in the 70s and 80s. Uh, so if I've got to listen to someone every single day, um, 
and I'll tell you a little side story, but let me tell you who my choice is. It's going to be Luther Vandross. Ooh, classic. What a choice. Yeah, because, you know, Luther, when he was putting them out, you know, some people sort of give you one, you know, they give you one big hit on each of their albums back in the day, right? Luther gives you from start to finish, you know, you, you just could go there. So if you're talking about 30 days, one guy, I can get three or four albums and I'm good to go. Now, some people don't even know what an album is, but you know, <laughs> a, a DVD, CD or whatever your choice is, you just, you know, a kick in Luther. Now I say that. So let, me ask you, let me ask you this, big Luther or little Luther? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I forgot I'm going to start, with, that, the, I'm start with the original. Yeah, that's true. Cause some people might get confused, but I'll, I'll say this very quick. My roommate, which I, you know, he's my best friend. I love him dearly out of Chicago. That brother, when we were in college, that dude played Prince every single day. So as much as I love Prince, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hurt because when you look, when you listen to, to uh, Prince for 365, man, I probably could do everything he did, but, uh, but it's going to be Luke in this case. Hey, that's a great selection. Last one about question for you. It, favorite TV show of all time? All right, you can man. watch so it to this day on repeat. Yeah, you get this. I won't make this one quick for you, but I, you know, you and I golf, and we're building our golf skills, right? So right. I, I play with a, I play with a few brothers, who um, they need a little warm up. So they generally say on the first hole, three off the first tee. So three off the first tee. Three off the first, not two, but three off the first tee. So I, I get two, but three. <laughs> yeah, they, they start slow, man. But yeah, after that, it gets pretty intense. So I got to give you. I know you asked me for one. But I'm going to give you three, and they they sort of link together. So, um, so you know, and this is uh, something that I'm sure you're probably going to ask. But uh, you know, I grew up in Chicago, so back in the day, the TV show that I watched a lot was Good Times. Mm. Uh, you know, I When you're growing up tough and stuff, you got to have a little laugh in your life, and uh, that cast of Good Time members they brought it to you every single time. From that though, I would have said. Sanford and Son, uh, you know, another old school one there. And my mom was into antiques. I probably called it junk, but uh, Sanford and Son, and not just because Lamont Sanford was the son, uh, but then finally it was the Jeffersons, the uh, the, the Jeffersons, because it was like moving up. And, you know, I would have said the Cosby's, and I think a lot of people would have said the Cosby's, but, you know, we, you know, we got some noise with that. But the Jeffersons, man, because a brother showed that you could, own your own business and do your own thing. He found his gift, right? And uh, even though it was fictional, um, he brought it. And it was one of those shows that says, hey, we could be business owners too. Uh, and so uh, I just, you know, always like that. From So really from, you know, the hood to the C-suite, that's what I always looked at uh, from those. So those were my sort of getaway shows there. So I know that was three, but that's three off the first tee. That's three off the first tee. Got you, got you. Good mulligan, mulligan. And then yeah, now playing yeah. the third ball. Got yeah, no you. Question. you know, you know what? Staying with that, those three shows you mentioned, what was one thing that tied them together? They had great intro songs. Oh yeah. Great yeah. intro song. Which one you selected? You got another one out of the three. You got Good Times, The Jeffersons, and Sanford and Son. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> 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 That's the one I probably hear, man. I, it, it, and you don't know, 
you know, and I want to be respectful, but when people don't know a whole lot of blacks, that's what they are. They say, Lamont, uh, are you? That's like, no, 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 don't go there. So I won't pick it for that reason, but uh, I, I won't pick the Jeffersons moving on up, you know, to yeah. the good side, you know, so that's, uh, that was my moving thing. About on moving up. on up. And yeah, that's uh, I think that's a, song. Yeah, man, that's, uh, to me, I, I think, when I think about your uh, organization, it's about moving up, you know, so. There um, it is. Yeah, so that was good. And so you started down this road, take us there, Chicago. Talk about your upbringing, your connection with sports. I lead us down the road. Wow. So, um, man, yeah, so I, I grew up in Chicago and I had a lot of, I'll say blessings, you know. I did not come from a, a rich family uh, where, you know, things came easy or stuff like that. You know, my mom, which I, I give a lot of credit to, um, she worked for the Urban League for 30 years. And back in her days of, of that, that's when the Chicago Urban League was one of the most powerful organizations across the country because they were connected to people like James Compton, who is the president of Urban League. And uh, you had Jesse Jackson, who was at his prime. He was running Operation Push, and he was doing the Rainbow Coalition. And, you know, he had his mantra, you know, down with dope and up with hope. Um, so, uh, you know, that's where I got a lot of my business exposure and education from. So I grew up on the south side of Chicago. Outside. I went to a um, high school called Bowen, the Bowen Boilermakers. Um, I played sports naturally. I mean, that's what you did. So, um, you know, I, I excelled in basketball and baseball and in basketball, we, you know, we played the heavyweights of Simeon and, you know, you, you had, um, you know, Garnett over there and you would go over to Hearst High School and you had the Robinson brothers, you go over to Corliss High School and, and you had Daryl Walker, who played for the Bulls. I mean, every night was a, um, was a heavy basketball night and a lot of people don't know this. I don't even know now. Back in those days, the rivals were so great. You couldn't have night basketball games. You had to play them like at three o'clock uh, because the, the rivalries were so intense. And depending on who won and who lost might be a little difficult leaving yeah. school. So, I get it. you know, they would rope off literally the basketball court to keep fans off of it. I mean, so Chicago basketball, man, people taught New York, but the best best ballers are coming out of Chicago uh, and things. You had Isaiah Thomas on one side, you had Doc Rivers on the other side. So it was intense rivalries for basketball back in those days. Uh, played baseball as well and um, had a lot of success there. Um, that then led me downstate. I got a basketball scholarship. Actually, I was told, hey, you can't do both of those. So back in the day, you weren't doing a Deion Sanders thing where you were running from one side. <laughs> right. You, you like choose one. And so uh, I went to- So, so Go ahead. I, I'm gonna jump in right quick. So basketball, what position did you play? Oh, point guard, dude. I point mean, guard. That, yeah, it was point guard, shooting guard. I mean, you can do a lot of things in high school. When you go to the uh, to the next level and you're playing D1 basketball and you're a six footer, you, you're gonna be a point guard. You, you know, you're not gonna do that. So, <laughs> you know, I was, I, although, you know, my teammates might say, "Why?" Well, you know, I shot more than I passed, but uh, you know, it, it was one of those things where you know it was about scoring, and, and that's what you 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 learn to do and play some some defense there. Now, so, were you a fan of the local sports teams, Bears, Sox, Bulls? Yeah, you know, it, it's a great question. Um, 
you know, back when I was growing up, the, the Sox and the Cubs had never won anything back in the day. I grew up South Side, so you couldn't even make it over to Wrigleyville, which was sort of the upper east side of town. Uh, so you had to go to White Sox and, you know, White Sox and, and the Cubs were the teams. Uh, the Bulls, yeah, I, I, you were all, I mean, there's no way that you could not be a, a Bulls fan, even if they weren't winning all the time until Jordan got there. Uh, and then the Bears. So, yeah, I mean, those are nostalgic teams. Um, and, and Chicago's a very loyal uh, sports town. I mean, down the way, you've got like the Packers, you know, and then you got the Milwaukee Bucks on the basketball. So, you know, we had close rivals. You go over in Indiana, you got the Pacers or, or you know, something like that, or the Coats. So there's such strong rivalries, right? that you, you always were sovereign to your city. You, you didn't dare, you know, like you have now with these great American Dallas cowboy fans all over the country that in Chicago, you're a Chicago fan for life. That's it, that's it, that's it. And so what athletes did you look up to growing up? Wow, um, man. So in football, and this has to do with, later you'll probably ask me when I talk about career. So Walter Payton was my man. Um, Sweet. Yeah, I mean, just, just I, I had an opportunity to meet him, obviously, before he passed away. Um, from a football standpoint, nothing went past Walter Payton. He was just the man. Um, so that was that. And, and, and basketball, uh, obviously, uh, Jordan and actually, you know, Jordan wouldn't have been who I was growing up with. But um, there were just a lot of players on uh, the teams. But, you know, strangely enough, I said what I said. And, you know, from a distance uh, you know, it would have been the Lakers uh, with people like Kareem and stuff like that. But uh, that was pretty much it, man. It, you know, if you do that and, and in baseball, I play a lot of baseball. Um, I can't even honestly remember who back in the day was was my number one one guy. I would say it was the big hurt at some point for the just went to the Hall of Fame. So, you know, he was killing it uh, uh, back then. So, yeah, I grew up a strong um you know, fan of the games, of all the games there. And, and really, sports is what, you know, I attribute a lot to my success today as a executive, you know, in a corporation, because there's so much learning and, um, and things to, to uh, do. I wanted to be like you. Uh, I tried out for the football team in high school, man. And, you know, coach, I remember, I never forget, because it was like the biggest defeat of my life at the time. I, I was like, I was the, um, I was Beckham Jr. before there was a Beckham Jr. If you okay. threw it, I could right. catch it. Talk to us. <laughs> well, if, if you threw it, I could catch it. And the, the coach would call me hands. But when I tried out, he's, you know, he said, man, you catch everything coming your way, but you just too little for this game. And it's going, this, this game's going to hurt you. So he sent me home. So that was my first, I guess, uh, job interview that I failed to get. <laughs> So, uh, so, so I, I, you know, I, 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 I found basketball and, and, and baseball to be something I could do with my size and my weight. And so, sticking with football, because I'm fascinated by Chicago's rich sports history, 1985 Bears. Yeah. Where were you? How was that for you that year <coughs> when they won the Super Bowl? So, yeah, man. You know what? So. Man, that's that's a serious question because I had waited for the Bears to win something for a long time, and I guess the, at that time the Bulls, I don't think had no Bulls hadn't won, and and the White Sox Cubs hadn't won anything, so the Bears was coming out, and I wasn't even in the city, 
I was uh, downstate Illinois uh, coming out of college. And so I missed the big thing, man, but I was so excited about the fact that my, my, my team, you know, cause Chicago second largest city in the country. And it seemed like we were always coming up second. So when they started doing that Super Bowl shuffle and um, yeah. you know, they started looking like they were going to go, you know, to the Super Bowl and all that, man. I mean, that that literally changed our city that, you know, we're no longer the second city, but we're number one. So uh, that was huge. Uh, that that was just, I mean, from top to bottom, man. In fact, I'm still a little upset with Mike Dicker because if he hadn't messed with that 85 team, then we would have repeated in 86. But um you know, he, he brought a little short quarterback that I won't call his name in and leave uh, <laughs> a Jim McMahon in play. But that's all right. We, we got one. Yeah. And so so I'm, I'm, I'm jumping and I'm going to come back. But I, I, I think about the 1985 Bears winning the Super Bowl, how great that is for uh, the city and the community. And so I'm going to jump to recently you helped put together some things around the Super Bowl in Atlanta. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, you know, um, so I alluded to this, right? I said, hey, if I'm gonna serve the, the, the Obamas a, a, a nice steak dinner, you know, they're gonna let that slide down with the nice ice cold Pepsi. Uh, and that's because I've been with PepsiCo now, uh, in February, it'd be my uh, 21, it'd be my 25th year with them. And, and half that time's been uh, on the marketing side, the other side has been on the uh, national sales side. And so with the Super Bowl being played here in Atlanta, home of uh, the red team or Coca-Cola, um, you, you know, you, you play for Pitt, you know, that's like going into um, the, you know, the, 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 the Patriots stadium of old with Tom Brady and you're in the division championship and now you've got to go win to go to the Super Bowl. And so, uh, you know, stadium downtown, um, but the Super Bowl in itself, you know, uh, the uh, NFL is partnered with Pepsi. Um, I, I, I know this is double digit years for us. So we're partnering where the NFL goes with the Super Bowl, so goes Pepsi. Uh, we changed over this town uh, and it just wasn't us. It was the other big sponsors. But when the Super Bowl goes from city to city, the economic impact goes up, you know, an ungodly number. Um, you you have all these fans, right, coming from all over the world into a city. You have all these restaurants and all of these hotels and and all of these entertainment facilities just just getting filled up and and stuff. And so, um, you know, PepsiCo and our, our Super Bowl team and our local teams came in, and we really just painted this town blue as opposed to red what's created that friction, but that's all about what sports is. There's always going to be a winner and there's always going to be a loser. Let's um, compete. And it's about competition, right? And so that's why I was saying about sports and, and like what you're teaching these young men and women is that you're always going to live in a competitive environment and you just have to figure out, you know, what is your gift and what are you really good at and then compete and, uh, you know, do the best you can. And oftentimes when you're playing in your right position and you know this, right, you're gonna perform well. And so for us, it showed America and really the state of Georgia that, hey, you know what? Um, you know, if you've got the right playbook and, and, and you call your game, you can do some wonderful things, but it brought the city along and there's all types of, you know, entertainment happening in the city of Atlanta when it comes around sports teams, you know, the baseball team, 
you know, just fell short of going to the World Series and doing that. Um, the football team, you know, a couple of years before that, you know, went all the way to Super Bowl, although Atlantans don't want to talk about that. Yeah, right. That turnaround. But, um, you know, competition's good. It, it makes, you know, weaker teams stronger and it makes stronger teams, you know, even stronger. So the competitive nature, you know, I always say that uh, our rivals, Coca-Cola makes Pepsi uh, better and, and, and vice versa because it challenges us to go to the next level. Now, who played in that game? Was it the Rams? Was that the Rams and the Patriots? No, was it? Gosh, I'm always – yeah, it was. It, it, it actually was, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, Brady got his – number. was that number six? Number uh, six, number six. Yeah, and so, yeah, yeah. And, so, and, and that – okay, so not saying Pepsi, we're thinking like this, but do you think corporations root for certain teams to – go to the Super Bowl because of their fan base, like the Dallas Cowboys, you talked about the Cowboys or the Pittsburgh Steelers because they know the influx of people that will be coming to the city or, yeah. Yeah, or, yeah. Or I mean, even a whole city. Yeah, corporations and even sponsors in, in host cities, most definitely. I mean, every city obviously want their home team to play like in the Super Bowl or the World Series or the NBA championships. So rarely though, uh, as you know, but for sponsors, for all means, I mean, you, you want, just like in golf, right? If you're the sponsor of a golfer, you want him or her to win that championship. Likewise, you know, the, the, the thing about the company I work for, uh, we have several NFL teams as, as an example that, you know, we, we sponsor. So, you know, Dallas is being one. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, a one of the teams that we sponsor, but we also sponsor the Patriots and the Pittsburgh Steelers and, you know, the list goes on and on, the, uh, the Washington uh, team. Uh, so we're always excited about one of our teams, sponsored teams going. But keep in mind, those stadiums may not be the stadium that you sponsor. So, uh, so you know, it, 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 it's that. And we all have our own, you know, uh, personal uh, teams and, and uh, players that we root for and things of that nature. Uh, so... It just goes along with the territory, but it, it makes it fun. Super Bowl just being one since you're, you know, a, a football player by by experience. Uh, it, it's one of the most exciting games, um, you know, in, in all sports, you know, closely followed by basketball and baseball. So uh, you really can't lose with, with that. And so your sport was basketball. Talk about your experience being a student athlete at the collegiate level. Man, that's a really great question. And say, I, here's what I would say, um, you know, for those that like yourself that were a student athlete, especially in college, uh, you know, it, it takes a lot. I know a lot of people uh, uh, get frustrated with like feeling like athletes are spoiled people. And I'm sure that there are some situations that are over the top, but, you know, being a student athlete takes a whole lot of discipline. And in fact, I did not even play all four of my years. Uh, I played the first two. Uh, I had a, a hand injury that um, took me out for some time. And then you have the pressures of, and I'll say it like this, of, hey, you, you need to get back on the court and play. And I had to do a real evaluation. I don't think you and I ever talked about this before. Like, you know, back when I was coming out of high school and going to uh, play, you know, much like you, my eyes were set on the next level, right, the professional level. Uh, and then you get to a point where you get hurt and you've got to decide, you know, if, as an athlete, you, you've got two a day, sometimes three a days. 
Um, you know, we, you and I played a sport where Thanksgiving and, and, and around Christmas, those were days you had to be still at school while students went home. Right. So you, you're right. away from the family, you're traveling. And uh, I went to a school where, you know, athletes were told and I was told, hey, here's your choice. You can take the exam before you go on your traveling trip. You can take it the day of, but you cannot take it after the exam is given by the professor. So right. you not only have to prepare for big games and just games and understand your playbook, you had to get into your, your books and your assignments and go to your tutors or whatever. And so that takes a whole lot of balance uh, there. You know, you're on scholarship. Yeah, you, you, you know, people see that you're getting a meal and things of that nature, but you're running from class to practice to getting that food and you've got to watch game film and, and there's a lot of preparation. And so, you know, hey, I, I'm not making an excuse for them, nor am I saying, you know, I'm not privileged, uh, you know, thankful for the opportunity, but uh, it really takes discipline and focus and commitment to be able to do that. So when I got hurt, um, I made a decision. I went to my parents and says, hey, I just wanna let you know, I'm gonna stop playing. Uh, I was an accounting major, uh, to be honest with you, there probably was five blacks uh, pursuing an accounting degree during my time, so it wasn't very diverse. So I didn't get a whole lot of help. I had to go and find that help. Um, and I wanted to focus on that. And believe it or not, I, at the time being, I, I went to college at 17, uh, Sean, and I was only freshman on the team. Everyone else was an upperclassman. We had a heavy JUCO transfer and we had okay. seniors. So I, 17 years old, everybody upperclassmen, you know, I was, you know, no one was trying to hang out with me. So it was sort of lonely, but, um, I knew at a certain point, I'm not gonna go to the league, right? And so I said, hey, it's time for me to break off from that, focus on my studies, come out and find what I'm gonna do in life. Uh, and so I made that decision as hard as it was having played for so many years, um, just to walk away from the game. And uh, it, from a collegiate standpoint, I played a lot of, uh, of um, League, like rec leagues, semi pro yeah. stuff. I did a lot of that yeah. stuff uh, on the side. So, so, so uh, remind me, where did you go to school? Southern Illinois. Illinois. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So downstate. So it was, you know, it, it was competitive in that sense. So th that was a big decision, but it was a right decision. And I know, you know, when I think about, you know, on Gerald, it, it, it's, you know, I had to get that lesson. There was no Sean Robinson. To, to come and say, hey, look, uh, you know, you may be an athlete, you may not be there. So let me help you, you know, uh, hone your skills so that you can go uh, and, and really do the thing that you're probably going to do for the rest of your life. And so talk about that transition from being a, so you went from college student athlete to a, a part of the general student body and then life after. So how did you start in your professional career? Yeah, uh, another great question. You majored in county. Did you did you go into the county? Yeah, so against all odds, right? I mean, you're, you're talking about fighting up, and like I said, five or six, um, you know, blacks uh, in the accounting program. Um, so I, I earlier I mentioned the Urban League and why I said it was so impactful, right? So after I did that and came off scholarships and, and things, um, I started doing internships. So, I, you know, my mom was like, hey, you know, my mom was like, hey, OK, 
you're gonna you know you're gonna need a job after college is you got this accounting degree so the, the quick story on that I was blessed by the time I graduated Sean I had done three internships summer internships uh, my first one was with the higher Regency uh, in Chicago and Wacker right down on the, on the waterfront I was the first black um, accounting intern uh, the next year um, I went and um, was the first black accounting intern for Allstate Life Insurance out in Northbrook. Um, and that's where I really engaged and met Walter Payton. My, my accounting boss was Walter Payton's neighbor uh, there. And then uh, I was offered a chance to come uh, out of school and go work for Allstate. So here I'm going to sign, you know, what I thought was going to be an MBA contract, I was now going to sign a corporate uh, job. But You're, I, you're I, signing, though. That's nice. I was signing, but I didn't sign. So that's the thing. So like, you know, you say you're going to go one way and you don't sign, you go sign with Ted. I actually stayed in school. Mm. And, and I'll tell you this here, and I'll make it quick on this here. I didn't sign because unbeknownst to my accounting director, he's the one that taught me out of the job. They made me what I thought was a big offer. It was all the perks. You know, I was going to be an accountant. They were going to pay for me to take my CPA exam and all of that. And the last day when he was saying farewell, he called me in his office. He had a big office. He looked out. He said, see these guys out here? And I said, yeah. He says, you see what they're doing? I said, yep. He says, they're not going to go anywhere uh, because they weren't motivated. And I, I started doing a self-reflection. He says, well, it's like picking a team, right? If I go to a team where there's not much motivation, then what's our chance of winning the Super Bowl or winning your division or your conference and stuff like that. And I didn't want to fall into that trap. And so I left there knowing that I wasn't going to sign and that I, you know, I had, I was much more ambitious. So the short of it is I stayed in school another year, got another degree and uh, I came out and I went into banking. Uh, and so you can tell by this interview, the banker says you're, you couldn't possibly be a banker because you, I mean, uh, an accountant because you talk too much. You're, you're more the, to the sales side, <laughs> marketing side. So, uh, so he was he was right. So I went to a company called uh, Household Finance, which is now HSBC uh, Finance Company and banking. And when I went there, it was in St. Louis. So I went from Illinois over to Missouri, and I was one of probably five or six black in this management training program. So I had a history of going to companies that don't have a whole lot of diversity. (laughs) But I I said that I was in this program. I was like, hey, I'm in a one day, I'm going to be the president of this company. That was my, you know, dream. Sort of like going to the league. And uh, the the, the short of that was, because my first day I went there, uh, the branch manager uh, was there and he came to the door, and this is my first day, right? I'm early, I got the suit and tie on, I'm ready to go to work as a you know, professional. And he said, so when he came to the door, and he didn't look like me, and he said, hey, uh, sorry, we're not open yet. And I says, yeah, I know, I'm, this is my first day, and I'm starting here. And he looked at me like, I don't think you're starting here. So, hmm. you know, he found out that, yes, I was supposed to be an employee, but then I learned, you know, that it just didn't have a lot of black in banking that's doing financial uh, advising and different stuff like that. So uh, that just pushed me to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to excel through this program and I'm going to excel. So I did. I I finished it in half the time, the program, and I went back to Chicago because they're headquartered in Chicago. And I just dialed forward. Probably by the time I got to my seventh year, 
um, with the company, I was the assistant to the president of the company. And, and that wow. taught me something. When I went for an interview, you don't interview with the president because the president, he or she is making a decision whether you're going to be his or her assistant. And what he said to me is, he said, Lamont, you have a greater need to be my assistant than I do. And I didn't understand that, but what he was saying is the things that I'm going to expose you, the things that I'm going to teach you uh, is really going to help you become an executive of this company or whatever. And obviously he was thinking of that company. And so I got an experience to be in the boardroom and I got an experience to, you know, be flying around on a corporate jet and seeing how you create strategies and tactics and motivate people and all of that. And then I got a chance to go overseas. He sent me over to Sydney, Australia to work with our international operations and things. So that really set the foundation for me uh, and gave me the exposure and knowledge. And what I told, you know, young men and women who aspire to, you know, take their careers through through um, sports is that's great if you can do it, right? But you and I know only 1% of that group ever gets that real chance. There is equal to as much satisfaction in going and learning what your gift is and doing it well as it is in playing in the NBA. And I often think like, I probably would have been the 13th guy in the NBA on the bench. And I would say I probably made more money as a corporate executive um, than I would have playing four years in the NBA and then only signing one time yeah. and stuff like that. So, you know, I, 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 you know, the people I've worked with and alongside of, if you saw their, their itineraries uh, for a course of a day, you'd be like, well, I take that schedule, you know, you're going to be in one city at a Super Bowl, the next city you're going to be in, you'll be watching the NBA final, the next city you'll be in, you'll be watching the World Series. I mean, that's a pretty cool life. Yeah, that's not a bad itinerary at all. I, I um, let me take you back Australia. So, how long did you live there? Uh, it was less than six months. I went over to do a project, and it, it, it created some balance for me because I, I was actually sent over to take our company and help them adapt to some of the working uh, ways of of the of the U.S. You know, uh, over in, in in Sydney and a lot of the European countries, man. They, they worked to live, not live to work. So, you know, in Australia, they're, you know, at the time, they, they're Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. Don't ask me to work no overtime. Oh, and definitely okay. don't ask me to work on Saturday. How about that? How about that? I think my, my, yeah. my wife loves that type of lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so, balance. So, so you, know, you go over there, and, and so we're, I'm trying to say, hey, you guys need to work harder. You need to work longer. You need to work on Saturdays to play. Then these people are like, you know, you lost your mind. <laughs> and it really helped me bounce because we would have expats go over and they didn't want to come back. I mean, because people, you know, they focus on family. They focus on having fun working. But, you know, over in Australia, the American dream for them is not to be a homeowner and things of that nature. They look at some of that as like those are expenses that we don't have to incur and stuff. So it just gave me a, a different perspective, you know, we, in, in, in our world, we have people at all levels, you know, uh, they look at us as being a, sort of a, a, a country with a lot of, you know, excess of waste. And in some ways, I think they're right. Yeah. So um, it was just a great experience to see the same business, but in a different country and what people value versus what 
we in the, the United States value. And, and there's goods and bads behind uh, that. But it was an awesome experience that when I came back, it made me a better executive uh, when I returned to the States and eventually went to Seattle, uh, Washington, and I, I lived and worked there for um, a couple of years as well. It's really interesting when you really think about like how significant it matters where you live or even even you know where you're from or where, where you grew, where you grew up because it helps shapes you know your value your perspective so now my wife and I live in here in South Florida it's a different lifestyle than we were living in Pittsburgh right now on social media they post some pictures of eight nine inches of snow I have a tea time tomorrow at noon it's gonna be 75 <laughs> degrees and so you talk about Australia and then also, so I think about Chicago. I mean, there's so many beautiful things about the city of Chicago, but far too often you hear about the negative side of things. And so, like, how does that make you feel like when you hear so much negativity about your hometown? Yeah, the short answer is hurts. Um, it's in some ways it's reality, but you know, with everything, Sean, we have to learn that there are always two sides, if not more, to to every situation. It's easy to point out the, the, the bad. Uh, I had one of my employees many years ago, um, he was working on a project, and it relates to your question about Chicago, and everyone was hammering him about all the things that his team was doing wrong. And he pauses on, he says, you know what? It doesn't take much effort to tell me what's wrong. I need someone to tell me what to do right or what we are doing right. And I carry that flash and I think about whenever I hear this about Chicago, you know, having lived there till I was 17, um, there's a lot of great things about that city. Uh, and then there's some things that's not so great. Uh, in some times, in some ways, it's been a very segregated city uh, in things. Uh, and there's some tough times, but that's not all of the city. Um, yeah, you can see the heavy crime rate. You definitely see the affliction uh, of blacks and brown people, uh, especially in the city. Um, and, and crime rates can be very high. But there are, are several people from grassroots up that are doing some amazing things. There are some amazing schools, um, elementary, middle school, high school, and definitely universities in, this, in the uh, city of Chicago. But they don't get talked about. A, a lot uh, in things. I've got friends who have their kids growing up in inner city at those high schools, and they're going, you know, from high school to Pitt, they're going to Penn State, they're going to Harvard, they're going to Yale. Those don't get talked about. Right. They're going to the University of Chicago, they're going to Northwestern, which are Chicago based schools, they're going to Chicago State, uh, Illinois, you know, uh, and stuff like that. We don't talk enough about that. Now, when I was in Chicago and I was working for corporations headquarters in Chicago, I spent a lot of time in the community. I went to those high schools where, I mean, even way back then, there were metal detectors. Yeah. Um, I used to go into to classrooms and talk to students where every single kid in that classroom had been incarcerated. And if you don't come to school, the truancy officer would go find you and bring you to school. But I can tell you, being in those classrooms, um, each one of those kids, they listen, they, they, they wanted to get better. The, the challenge that we have is that we don't have enough Sean Robinsons around that are going back and helping people. These kids want to know. Most of those kids in those inner city schools, um, we took a graduating class. 
literally, Sean, they could see the skyline of downtown, but they had never been downtown. Yeah, yeah, I believe it. Function in a three block, five block radius. And some of that's for good reason. You know, if you've got gangs or stuff like that. But their world is in that, in the community in which they live, the bodegas and things of that nature. So to your point about exposure, that's why if you go back to Bob Elliott, who was the president at the time, saying, Lamont, you have a greater need to be my assistant than I do. That's the point that you just mentioned that. By exposing you, you're going to inevitably get better just from living in different cities, engaging with different people, not just black people, not just brown people, but white people. I mean, you know, the things that Martin Luther King was preaching and talking about is true today, you know, and and things. And so I would tell everyone, uh, like I'm working on projects today, it's like, hey, I'm at the HBCU schools recruiting the best talent. But I also go to what we call predominantly white institutions, too. And there are black and brown people at those schools that we're recruiting as well. You know, and because when you go into a boardroom, uh, I go into Pepsi boardroom and stuff like that. There's not necessarily a whole lot of people that's going to look like you and come from your experience. So you you better know how to live in different cities and work in different groups uh, of diverse people and diverse thinkings and diverse backgrounds because that is America, and it's growing exponentially that way. It really is. Atlanta has, I was going to say, Atlanta has 14% black population. It has about 17% Latino population. You know, And then you, you add in Asians, another five or six. So the, the, the black and brown are the majority in Atlanta, and yet you still have 42% people who don't self-declare themselves as being a minority what what a blend that we have in and that's what the the u.s is going to look like going forward it is going to be multicultural and multicultural not just in race but in gender uh in experiences and all of the things that you when you start getting um uh different uh, you know groups and activists in there you hit it so you hit it out the park. Use a baseball analogy. So exposure, that is so key. Exposing our young people to the possibilities. And, and, and as we know, a lot of our young people, they want to be professional athletes. You know, they want to be the next LeBron James, the next um, Russell Westbrook or Russell Wilson, for that matter, as well. And nothing wrong with having those dreams, goals, and aspirations. We spoke about that less than 1% plan at the professional level. So they need to be exposed to different possibilities being former student athlete, you can be a top leader in PepsiCo. You could be the CEO of your own firm. I mean, it, it's really about showing them the possibilities and exposure. And to your other piece, building cross-cultural relationships. That is something that is so near and dear to my heart because I mean, we're made up of such of a diverse group of people in America. And it's so important that we bring young people together so they have a safe space to start to build these cross-cross relationships so they start to find out that they're actually more alike than they are different. And so so hopefully when they get to these large boardrooms like like a PepsiCo or or, or Nike or, or Adidas, they'll see even more diverse population, but then but they're able to work with each other, build with each other and, and, and help each other out through through situations and projects because they understand the importance of building those relationships and they've been exposed to them 
at a younger age. And it's so important. I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that still keeping us separate and segregated. But there needs to be more effort and more intentionality behind bringing young people together. So to again, build those cross cross relationships. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. That's why I, I love and encourage people to play a team sport at a young age, right? Because, um, you know, whether there's racial diversity or gender diversity or whatever, when you play a team sport like what you play, you got 11 people on the field, but you've got another 11 going on or off the field, right? So really it's 22 of you all plus all the backups, you know, they're all coming from different places and different experiences and stuff like that. But the only way you win is that each person plays their position to the best of their ability, right? Um, and so that's what it teaches you. So if you get that fundamental, uh, that foundation early on and going through sports, the fact that you don't go to the league, whatever league that is, if you can take those skills that you're coaches and assistant coaches and your teammates taught you about you know how to get along how to survive hey pick one another up when you're down um you know relying on it many of us work in a matrix organization so i don't have on my team all the components you know i'm in in the sales group uh leading a national sales team but i I need the support of the marketing team i have to have our operations team i've got to have our finance team i've got to have our distribution centers and our and our sales team it's you know biblically it says all things work together for the good and and that's an example and so anytime you're excluding an individual or person or race or gender out you're going to be incomplete because you need all of those things to just make you complete let alone the world complete so you know um you know i just say kudos to what you and your board and and volunteers are doing uh, because you're you're taking these uh, young people and you're teaching them not only about hope but how to build their skills. Because each of us have a talent. The key is you've got to find what your talent and your gifts are, and then do them well. Yeah. And so I always tell people, thankfully, you know, everyone's not LeBron James. You know, because who's going to coach the team and you know who's <laughs> going to turn the lights on? you know, in the building and who's going to make sure that the floor is in tip top shade and play baseball. You see the grounds crew. I mean, it's just critical. You play football. So, you know, this here, that fit, that field being immaculate ensures and limits the amount of injuries that you guys would potentially have. Right. Right. So, so all those things and all those players and all that support that you have is really what makes each of us be able to reach the top of their game. So, speaking of game, you brought up mulligans early on. Your love for golf. We talk about it pretty frequently. We haven't got a chance to play around yet. Looking forward to that. How did you get into the game of golf? Um, this is probably my best friend, but I, I'll say this here. Shame on me. Uh, I told you I played baseball, I played basketball, and I tried to play football. Um, you know, a brother growing up on the south side of Chicago cannot go to a golf course. He cannot afford the clubs and everything goes in. So I didn't grow up with golf and I looked at golf as this silly game. You hit it 250 yards, you go find the ball and you hit it again. Uh, wait, 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 wait. 250 yards? Yeah, on the first one. Well, already, huh? <laughs> Most people probably starting off at like 40 yards, right? Yeah. I, I didn't know the difficulty of hitting 250. I said I thought that was... Right, I'm with you there. Me too. I looked at the game, I'm like... 
How hard is it to hit that little ball? Well, man, man, give me the club. Yeah, and, and then I got the club, and then it was a different story. But go ahead, continue. Yeah, you see this? You, you see this picture behind me, right? This is old school golf. Right? I see the golf. Oh yeah, I do see it. Very nice. Yeah, so that, that's it. But the, 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 the short answer to that is, you know, shame on me because both uh, HSBC and Pepsi are are companies that leverage the game of golf to build relationships. And so I got into the game because a lot of my clients and customers and stuff, you know, they like the golf. And it's like, well, if I'm going to go to a golf course, you know, you, you know, you know how we are. We got to show up well and try to do this. So I had to go take lessons and learn the golf. But it was really driven by the fact of building relationships and that. And that's something that we don't necessarily teach well especially to our communities that hey some of the games and stuff that you play you can actually use that to to build your business so i actually and i didn't even tell you um my best friend is played um tennis and he was a teacher and still is a teaching pro he taught me the game of tennis in college and i, I learned to play it well enough to be able to start playing tournament uh level tennis well when i went and uh, start working, I, uh, one of the, the, the CFO was uh, a tennis player. So I went out and started playing tennis with him. And uh, I, I beat him pretty bad. I thought, well, if I beat him, he wouldn't take lessons from me. But what I learned is you never beat the boss. Let the boss <laughs> so, so anyway, I learned to, I learned to play the, uh, the need to uh, improve my business relationships and partnerships. And I share that with young people, especially college students, college age student athletes, the importance of building relationships. And golf is definitely one of those sports where you have the opportunity to build relationships. It has helped me here expanding my network in South Florida. And I encourage them, okay, on the off season, if you got time, go ahead and get you go to the the dollar store or or like Goodwill, find you a nice cheap set of clubs and go practice swinging because it actually helps in the in the business in the business world. Yeah, it's huge. And, and here's the other thing, Sean, about it. Unlike maybe some of the other sports we talk about, there's so many bad golfers that you don't have to really get good. I mean, you want to. But if you learn to play decent, you know, now I'm, I'm trying to, and I'm not there, so I, I'm shooting, you know, mid-80s or something like that, probably. Yeah. But my aspiration is to get into the 70s and eventually, uh, you know, play a part. I've got a long ways to do that. But That's for the most part, you can go to tournaments and, you know, guys are going to shoot in the 80s, you know, or so. And, and some people shoot in the 90s uh, and stuff like that. But, you know, uh, it's a game that... You know, there's so much opportunity to really, um, you know, have a good time, learn, you know, do some exercise and just uh, build some incredible relationships uh, across the board. So, um, you know, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. So here in South Florida, that's something that I'm intentional about improving my golf game. I'm in that category, that 90 or so, sometimes or so, so category. But 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 I know the game, and I and I hit the ball well enough. Sometimes we're like, oh, if you can just be consistent, you know what I mean. So I do get invited back, which 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 is important. Hey, well, you know, there, uh, not too long ago, Tiger uh, shot 10 over on a on a par three. I saw that. Yes, I was watching it. But 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 then hold on. But then I think the last, the next four or five holes, he might have like he at least parred and maybe birdie one or two of them. So not only that, no, he 
of the next six hoes, he birdied five of the next. That's six. what I know. I know he. I know he. I know he. He reminded everybody he's he's still Tiger. Hey, yeah, yeah, that's right. I, he's like, yeah, yeah he, he definitely said, hey, "Look, look, all right." But don't sweat this. Let me show you. Right. Tiger, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. This this so, not to be uh, this not about to be the uh the, you know the, a running joke. Oh, he got ten on a par three. Right. Oh, hold on. What about the the five birdies though out of six? And so that's the story that everyone's telling. Exactly. So you 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 spoke to this a little bit before, but as we close, the mission of Orange Arrows to coach student athletes to aim for success off the field, off the track, out of the pool. Wherever the playing arena may be, why is it important that the work we're doing, why is that important of making sure student athletes become successful outside of their sport? Yeah, well, you know, I think I hit on it a few times, Sean, but like I said, um, you know, if I'd have had someone, and I think about a lot of people I know that's doing what you all are doing at Owen Jarrell, right? I mean, so many of our kids, especially when you talk about inner city uh, kids, uh, and, and not just inner city, but you know, so many kids are trying to get out of uh, an environment, and they're attempting to do it through sports, which is a great way to do that. Um, but when you start thinking about, you know, I'm going to do this full time for some years after at a professional level, like I said, 99 out of 100 of us are not going to have that experience. And so the fact that you're teaching people to develop their gifts, all of us have some God-given di- gift, and then to run with that and, and teach people that, you know, like I said, I mean, sports is great, but it's not the only thing, and each of us are talented to do that. Take LeBron James, for example. He, you know, arguably the best player on the planet today, for sure, in basketball, but that's not the only thing he's doing. Right. I mean, he's got off-the-court time, and he is dedicating so much back to the communities in education, in um, entertainment. This is our next generation that's coming through. And, you know, they need to be able to sustain, um, you know, and grow for, forward and things of that nature. And so this early foundational work that you're doing in their lives and teaching people life skills and how to find their gifts and turn that into revenue, right? Mm-hmm. Like I said, I, I, I'm sure... If I had a major league, I probably would have been the 13th guy on the bench, which meant I would have signed the lowest contract. Uh, I've made more money uh, in my corporate executive jobs than I probably would have ever made playing four years in the league. So thankfully, I didn't make it. Thankfully, I got cut. <laughs> right, and, right. And, uh, and it forced me to go find what I'm, what I'm actually uh, good at or best at. Uh, and so for me, and I think you know this, I'm, I'm about to retire uh, from from PepsiCo here uh, next December. So uh, much like an athlete, I'm going to be out of the league. Uh, but, you know, if you do a, f- you do a few things right, you can you can retire and still have a fruitful life. So, I'm, you know, I'll be figuring out the next thing I want to do. But one of the things I want to do is I want to be like you, man. So you're my hero. Um, I've worked corporate, so I've got my margin. And now I want to focus on really mission and purpose work uh, like you're doing at Orange Arrow I love it. And, and really helping people make a difference. That's great. That's great. Well, I appreciate you, your time and your advice and your wisdom and congratulations on uh, your retirement. That is super exciting. So being that you retired, that means you'll be able to fly down to South Florida more to meet me on a golf course. We get out there, yeah, play, that- play, play a couple rounds. LJ, I appreciate you. Thank you for your time. Forward to catching up with you soon.
Yeah, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank Take you. Take care. God bless. Bless God. Take care. Blessings.